0: Colossians 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. We read, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come... Sit and listen to the preaching of your word this morning, God. Again, I just ask that you be merciful to me, Lord. Be merciful to our congregation as we listen to this passage, Lord. And this is a difficult passage, God. And I just pray for just restoration for those who may have had just wicked, evil sin done to them, Lord. Lord, I pray for restoration because there is healing that is found in it within your word, God. I pray that whatever has been broken, God, that you will restore and make new again, Lord. May we seek to honor you and love you best this morning, God. In your precious name we pray, amen. Amen. You may take a seat. So I want you here this morning, I want you to not think about a pink elephant. Whatever you do, don't think about the pink elephant. Don't think of a, a pink trunk, pink legs, a pink tail, pink big fluffy ears, whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. All right, let's be honest. Who is currently thinking of a pink elephant? Yes. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I'm thinking about baseball. <laughs> this morning, as we look into this, this short passage, Paul, he begins a new section in his letter to this church at Colossae. So he has spent the first portion of his letter teaching on the work that the Father The work of the Father and the evidence of of the gospel's power among the church. We read that uh, in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 14. We have also seen the supremacy of Christ over all creation and redemption in Colossians 1, verses 15 through, through 21. Paul, he has taught the importance of living a Christocentric life, and he has warned against false teachers around them. That was primarily all of Colossians 2. And the last time we looked at the book of Colossians, Jason preached for us, and he preached on being more heavenly focused, or having our minds fixed on the things above. And throughout the rest of this book, we are going to continue to move through this idea of how we ought to live a more Christocentric life. See, Paul, he has taught on theology, but theology is only important if it moves us into practice. Right? Christian doctrine is trivial if its expression is not found within Christian living. See, doctrine or or theology is not just something that we read, but theology is ultimately something that should be prayed, it should be preached, it should be sung, and ultimately it should be lived out in and amongst our lives. So as we take a look at this passage here, it is almost like a seesaw rocking back and forth between the arguments of of Christian identity, or the theology that Paul has taught about, and in Christian living, or what we should... Or how we should live in light of what Christ has done on our behalf. So as we look at this passage here this morning, I'm going to have three sermon points for you. So be, be ready for, for three points. So the first one will probably be 90 percent of passage here this morning, and then two and three will come pretty fast. But the first point: avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sexual immorality. Paul writes here in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I want to start here by just having this really quick grammar lesson. The conjective adverb, therefore, is used to bridge a gap between two ideas. So to understand this passage a lot of preachers will say, well, we have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? What is Paul trying to bridge the gap between? In Colossians 3, verse 1, he writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And if we remember that this book that Paul is writing to, Paul is writing to Christians at Colossae, and, and the word if is assuming the affirmative here. The text could have easily been read since you have been raised with Christ. So Paul is saying that since we have been raised with Christ, we are in the family of believers. And because we're in the family of believers, we ought to seek the things that are above. We need to set our minds on the hope that has been laid for, up for us in heaven. Colossians 1.5. See, this this passage, it contains a various list of of sins and a charge to consider ourselves dead to them. We have a list of of put-offs, and in a future sermon, actually the very next set of passages, is this idea to to put on. So we're going to focus this morning on what we ought to put off. And according to Clement of Alexandria, the figure of speech to put off and to put on, the new has been associated with the wearing of new garments at one's baptism. Paul, he's he's made similar analogies to this already in Colossians 1, 21 through 22, when he talks about the once and the now argument. Once being alienated from God, but now being reconciled to God. Christians, we identify with Christ not only in his resurrection, but also in his death and his burial. Just like Paul is writing here, we are to put off the old self and to put on the new. And, And because of our union with Christ, we are to become dead to sin now this does not mean that we do not need to be careful and watchful towards our hearts to and to, to protect ourselves to do that would be actually to ignore the very warning that paul is giving us here see paul he's not describing the state of which their sin was currently but he's urging them to put their sin to death to stop completely Paul's warning is to discard, disregard these evil practices and those that mirror them. The therefore is built upon the previous call to focus our minds on the risen Christ and the things that are above while we wait for the full revelation of Christ's glory. And putting to death is built upon the assertion that we have already died with Christ and have been risen. See, the analogy then is is actually placed on us to be careful of what we think, how we act, what we say, and what we do in our daily lives. You cannot be so foolish in thinking that you are not at war with the flesh and the continuous fight against sin in your life. I want to take a closer look at this list of vices that Paul describes here and some of their implications. The list begins with Paul saying, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So sexual immorality. This Greek word, the Greek word is porneia, and is used to describe fornication of of any sort. It is the very same word where we get pornography from. And the use of Sexual immorality or porneia extends to any kind of improper sexual behavior that is outside the bounds that God has declared for sex. Impurity, the word is used to describe in a more of a general sense any kind of moral corruption, or lurid imagination, speech, a filthy mind, etc. We actually see uh, Jesus using this this phrase in Matthew twenty three twenty seven. When Christ says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Uncleanliness and impurity is the same Greek word that is being used there. See, our thoughts, imaginations, and words, and what we consume on televisions or what we read in books and magazines can be considered impure. Passion. This, this word is to describe an emotion that leads to sexual excess. Paul uses this same word to describe the lust of the Gentiles who did not know God in 1 Thessalonians 4.6 and that of homosexuality in Romans 1.26. Right? This evil, wicked emotion that leads to sexual excess, leads to something wanting more. Right? Evil desire. The, the word desire can be used both in, in a positive and a negative connotation. However, just within Greek writing, when it is used negatively, it's typically being referred or being used, in, in a sense, referring to our human tendency towards our sin. So evil desires is a referring to our human tendency towards sin. James 1, 14 through 15, we read, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see the use of evil desire in that passage? The next vice list says greed or covetousness. This is just a general sense of an inappropriate desire for something more. For an inappropriate desire for wanting something more. And the last word is idolatry. Think of idolatry as a sense of false worship. Now, we may read these these lists of vices here. We may think, well, this is a very specific list. and, And maybe you have not personally dealt with some of these things. But there's an overarching principle here that if you miss the principle, you miss the entire point of Paul's passage here. You know, Pastor Travis and I, a couple weeks back, we were... Uh, talking about this passage, and, and he commented on it was actually interesting if we look at this list of vices in the reverse order. You know, and, he, and he, he made a comment that people don't just wake up one day and suddenly decide that they're going to commit sexual immorality. He Paul he begins with a very general class of sin, and then he elaborates on what he means by giving by giving these uh, five specific vices, and he concludes with a with a generalization. And he says, put to death what is earthly in you. See, the list doesn't begin with sexual immorality. Rather, the the list begins with our earthly nature or a desire to please ourselves rather than to please God. And actually, if we look at this list, the list is bookended by the very same idea when we read which is idolatry. See, idolatry extends far beyond an idol like a golden calf. A, a tall building, or a beautiful temple. Idolatry is a matter of the heart. It is a matter of a desire to please oneself and worship the things which are created rather than the one who creates them all. So we read this list and we look at this list and it stems out of a, of, out of a desire to please ourselves. And once a desire takes root in our lives, this leads to a desire to want or have something we do not currently have. That leads to a desire to impure thoughts, maybe unclean activities. See, it is after the person has already given themselves to un- uncleanliness is when they ultimately clip, uh, commit full-fledged adultery or sexual immorality or pornea. Porneia stems out of a desire to please ourselves, and unfortunately, just like everything God has said is good, has been altered and perverted. That extends to the image of sex. Sex has been used to harm oneself and others because it is not being used to serve one's spouse, but is rather being used to serve one's wicked and evil desires. David Powelson, he wrote a book called Making All Things New, and in it he, I'm going to read a quote here, and he says, Quote, Imagine sexual desire freed and focused within the union of a husband and a wife. There is love, pleasure, and beauty in sexual expression during these seasons when it is a core facet of marital fidelity and love. Our sexuality was designed to be a willing servant of love, and it becomes distorted by our willfulness or our fear. It is being remade into a willing servant of love. Love makes sexuality like a laser beam, its power under control, its intensity focused, nothing wasted or promiscuously scattered. End quote. Paul, he speaks figuratively of idolatry as an allegiance to something other than God. And most of the time, this allegiance is ultimately to ourselves. Right? We, we, we make idols of ourselves, and we make idols out of our own desires, what we want. And Douglas Moo, on his commentary on this passage, he writes, he writes quote, Paul reflects the tradition here. Sexual sins arise because people have an uncontrolled desire for more and more experiences and pleasures, and such a desire is nothing less than a form of idolatry. It is not necessary, then, to suppose that the Colossian Christians were particularly guilty of such sins. Rather, the list reflects the kinds of sins to which Gentiles who came to Christ were genu- generally prone. End quote. Right? So we look at this passage and we need to regard ourselves as being dead to sin and alive to righteousness. This passage is a cross-reference to Romans 8.13 and Galatians 5.16 where Paul writes, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And the deeds of the body are the list of vices that Paul is writing about here. Paul is calling the Christians here at the Colossae to be and to become and practice what they are in principle, right? They are to live in a way, in a manner that is compatible with a life that is filled by the Holy Spirit and change because of the work that Christ did on the cross. And I believe that most of us here this morning, most of us don't want to be guilty of any kind of sexual immorality. Most of us, I, I believe, want to honor the Lord in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, and even what we desire in our hearts, the question then becomes, well, how can we avoid sexual immorality? And the answer, the answer is with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, if if we follow these vices again, we can see that to put to death the the sexual immorality in our lives, we need to put to death the dirty thinking. To put to death the dirty thinking, we need to put to death the evil passions and the desires that stir up these thoughts. And to put to death the evil desires, we have to look at where these evil desires stem from. Right? Now, I, I, I want to let us practically talk here just for a moment about putting sinful and sexual desires to death. And then we'll ultimately we'll get to the most important issue here. And the most important issue is idolatry. So can you guys pause this thinking for just a moment as, as we think practically about putting to death sinful and sexual desires? Can you trek with me? All right. Who's still thinking of a purple, a pink elephant? Here we go. Yeah. See, just like the pink elephant that I told you to not think about, the, the more we think about not thinking of something we begin to think about the very same thing that we were told not to think about. So to kill these thoughts and, and evil desires, we can't just think or proclaim that I'm not going to have these thoughts or these evil desires. Or just like the dwarves mining deeper into the mountain and awakening Bulrag of Moria, we need to mine deeper. We need to look at who God is and what he has done for us. See, God is creator and ruler over everything. And God, he not only created us, but he provides for us. And as creator, he knows what we need most. God, he created sex. And, and he created sex to be a wonderful and loving thing. God knows what kind of sex would make us most happy. We need to see what God says is true about sex and what God says is true about sexuality. Right? In Genesis Chapter 2, we read that Adam and Eve, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Sex is part of the creation order, and it was given to us, it's supposed to be given to us, without any hindrance. Proverbs Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, we read: Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. Sex rightly placed and sex rightly kept is to be delighted in, is to be enjoyed in. God has given us sex and is a good gift to God. Good gift from God, sorry. It's a good gift from God. I want you to listen here for, for a moment. God inspired Paul to write to the, the Corinthian church. And, and he actually he challenged the Corinthian church when he wrote this passage here, and he, and he challenges them on their view of sex. And 1 Corinthians, if you want to flip here, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes... It says, the husband shall give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Listen to that for a moment. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. The husband, likewise, does not have authority over his own body, but the husband. His wife does. Right? This view was to the, countercultural to the belief regarding sex to the Corinthian church, and if we really think about it, it's pretty countercultural to what our nation is parading around to today and thinking about sex. Right? Sex within a Christian marriage between a husband and a wife should be loving, should be giving, it should be serving the desires of one's spouse. It is one of sacrificial love and servitude towards one another. And I know this topic can be uncomfortable. And My heart breaks for those who have been sinned sexually against. And I want you to know that the God of the Bible is forgiving and he can bridge the gap between what is evil and what is glorious. What has been distorted in our lives can, again, be Restored. And the great thing about God, the mercy of God, does not just extend to those who have been abused, but it also extends to the abuser as well. Whether you have been abused intentionally or unintentionally, or maybe whether you have been the abuser intentionally or unintentionally, Christ has come to redeem you too. Jesus' mercies make all things new. His grace is a versatile stain remover. Right? He washes away the evil that we do and the evil that has been done to us by His grace. Right? God tells us that though our sins are like scarlet, we can be washed as snow. And Christ has come to restore and rescue those that have been victimized. Listen to the psalmist. He, read, he writes, "O oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. You incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Psalm 10, 17 and 18. God, God has a high view of sex and he has a low view of immorality. We can find comfort in the beauty of the gospel, even when evil has been done to us or when we have been involved in the wickedness ourselves. David and he writes again in his book, Making All Things New, Great, great book, by the way. If if you've have dealt with sexual immorality of other of any sort, highly recommend reading that book. But David Powelson, in Making All Things New, he writes, quote, "Jesus comes for each and all. So the dynamic by which the sexual immoral and the sexually victimized are transformed has a core sim- similarity, though his work unfolds by many different ministry routes." Grace is not a panacea, a single message prescribed for whatever ails you. Christ comes bringing a myriad of specific remedies that address specific persons, struggles, and troubles. He always embodies steadfast love and all that Exodus 34, 6 and 7 promises. But like his Proverbs, he admonishes, he admonishes the sexually unruly, calling for a radical U-turn. Like the psalmist, he comforts the faint-hearted, offering refuge and strength. Like a prophet, he brings justice, ind- indicting indicting, sorry, oppressors and defending victims. Like a shepherd, he guides and protects, holding on to the weak. He is patient with all whom he befriends. In other words, he meets you right where you are. And he's always thinking about what you need to know and the next step you need to take. End quote. Right, let's, let's, let's look at this practically for a moment now. Each person here may do things a little bit differently. Right? Maybe you're the one that has an accountability software installed on, on your phone or computer that blocks a certain website or, or certain content. Maybe you get rid of your social media accounts or go back to flip phones. Maybe you don't spend time with that, that one person anymore that you're always getting yourself in trouble with. Maybe you stop reading those romance novels that pervert the true image of love and protection. I suggest burn them, and when you do, invite me over, and I want to roast marshmallows over them. Right? If you are actively engaging in sexual immorality right now, you either better break it off and that relationship, repent, plead with the Lord to save you, ask Him for a forgiveness and mercy, or your option is go and get married right now. And don't let a silly cost of a marriage certificate stop you. I will pay for your marriage certificate. You don't have an excuse here. Right? Do you see where I'm going? Do you remember Christ's hyperbole when he said to you to gouge out your eye or to cut off your hand before letting it lead you to sin? Don't put yourself in a position where you even have even the slightest opportunity to act foolishly and to act ungodly. Right? Now, I want to bring us full circle here, and I want to get to the, the root of the issue. Right? And the root of the issue is idolatry. This is the most important vice list here. This is the, the, the list that everything stems out of. Right. How can I possibly say that the root of sexual immorality begins at the heart of idolatry? Right. Often a, a man, his desire is to take dominion. Right. He wants to be honored. He wants to be served. He wants to be worshipped. So what he does, he creates a false dichotomy that all women want to make him lord in their lives and, they, and that all men want to seek to serve him. Right? And, and they do this by either acting out and chasing women, pornography, false relationships. And, and women, though idolatry may not always be as explicit, the concept of, of being loved, being protected, being adored, being worshipped by a man is pleasing. And this is where we, we get this idea of reading these wicked novels or these terrible Hallmark romance movies, where the woman's desire is sought out by a man who wants and finds her to be beautiful, loving, desirable, a goddess. So idolatry comes in either the desire to have dominion, or it comes out of the desire to be served by someone. And if we allow ourselves to be our own little demigods, Where love and sex's only purpose is to fulfill our sinful desires, we are moving further away from what God wills for us. And we're moving further away from what God has already said was good and pleasing. So avoid sexual immorality. Point number two remember the holiness of God. Remember the holiness of God. I'm going to read verses 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Do you hear the warning of the Lord this morning? See, vice Viceless given in the New Testament often conclude with a reminder that God will judge the kind of behavior and conduct in the list. For other examples, you can see Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5. The warning that God depicts is a lifestyle of those that are at enmity with the Lord. The warning that the Lord gives to you and gives to me this morning underlines the seriousness of the sins that have just been laid before us. This is a direct and an explicit warning to take seriously what is about to take place. Right? Putting to death these sins is vile because God warns us that the wrath will fall upon those who continue in them. See, Douglas Moo, he, com- he, he comments and points out that the putting to death these sins is possible. He says natural even, because God has given to his people through the Holy Spirit a new power to conform, to conform or conduct to God's commands. You may say, Well, Anthony, that really doesn't sound like holiness, but that sounds a little bit more like wrath instead. And I would counsel you in saying that you cannot separate the wrath of God and his holiness. See, the wrath of God must be demanded because God is infinitely holy and the holiness of God requires his swift judgment against all things that are against God. God has told us that the wage for our sins is death and his wrath is the proper response for our sins. And Paul, he, he writes and he uses the wrath of God to express the seriousness of the call to live a life faithfully, to live a life that is marked by what the what the Lord has done in your life. Or like he said back earlier in Colossians, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Live a life that is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. See, God's wrath and His his revelation of His holiness and righteousness will not fall only upon the sexually immoral, but it will also fall upon the one who thinks they can make themselves out to be the ones that people should serve in worship. Christians, we ought to be the most sacrificial and loving group of people. Do you remember what the Lord has done for your life? Do, do you see the seriousness, the seriousness of your sin that was nailed to a cross by the very same person whom you have infinitely offended? Do you not see how merciful the Lord is here? See, I know, I know. In our lives, we've been hurt by others. Right? And some of these sins that have been against you may not have been given true godly justice. And the hurt that we experience because of other, peop- other people may lead us to think that we can get a pass for your behavior, but this cannot be the case if you know what the Lord has done in your life. Right? What if Christ dealt with you and your sins against him the very same way you are dealing with someone's sins against you? But he has not. We can look at the character of Christ as being mercifully unfair to you. And you can thank the Lord that you have not dealt with your sins the way he did on the cross. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. And he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities, the psalmist writes. This should stir up in our hearts the desire to love God more and and seek to please him in our thoughts, our minds, our actions. Right? Do not want to mock God by doing the very things that He has explicitly warned us against. See, Remember the holiness of God. Our last point here, point number three, is walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verse seven, and these t- you two once walked when you were living in them. Now, I quoted it earlier, but just like Paul said in this first chapter of Colossians, let us strive to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. See Colossians three six; it provides us a general principle, but in seven, that general principle is then applied. Paul reminds them that they were once the people who were condemned and separated from Christ because of their sins. And you can find parallel passage in Ephesians 2, 1-2, when we read, In which you formerly walked. Paul's already talked about in his, in his letter to the Colossians a distinction between the once and the now. Once apart from God, but now adopted into the family of believers. See, once having a heart of stone, but now a heart of flesh. I want to wrap this up by saying that Hippocrates was thought to have coined the phrase desperate times call for desperate measures. My question to you is what will you do to put to death the self-harming and the soul-crushing sin in your heart? For the Christian, this will be avoiding sexual immorality by remembering the holiness of God and what He has done for you on the cross. See, God, he reminds us that we are once alienated from him, but now we are no longer. We were once alienated from him, but now adopted into family of believers. Right? We once walked in a manner that is unworthy and masked by sins like sexual immorality, impurity, evil and wicked passions and desires and idolatry. Your desire ought to be to walk in a manner that is pleasing and worthy to the Lord. And if this is an area that you struggle in, please come talk to an elder after service. Please, Pastor Travis and I will be up here after service. We are more than willing and wanting to pray with you. This is something you will not be able to do alone. In the church, if this is an issue where You are rude and arrogant towards others. Stop it. Do you not forget or do you not remember what the Lord has done on your behalf? Many of us too have once struggled in these areas. Now if you're an unbeliever here this morning, I pray that the Lord softens your heart and he opens your, your eyes to the false belief that you can find satisfaction in this broken, empty, void world and think that you can be served by someone or think that you can serve yourself. You are guilty of offending a holy, perfect, righteous, and loving God. And if you do not repent of your sins, you do not come humbly to the Lord and plead and ask Him to save your soul, you will one day spend eternity under His wrath. But there is hope. Just like all the believers in this room here this morning, there is hope for you. Romans 10.13 says, All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, He has offered you His Son. He has offered you hope for eternal life, that if you will let go of your sin and embrace Jesus Christ, He will save your soul. Be saved today. Let us pray. God, thank you just for this day, Lord. Thank you for just your word and just the reminder, God, that we need you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us that we can help fight against these sins, God, that we've given Lord, I just pray that as we seek to honor you, God, that you will just strengthen us, you will encourage us, Lord. I pray that as a church, we will come together and we will help those who need it most, God. That we will be a a group of people who will not be arrogant and unkind, but will be loving and compassionate against those whom are dealing with these sins, God. And Lord, I just, I ultimately, I also pray for conviction, Lord. That if this is an area that someone is, is dealing with, God, I pray that you will challenge them. That they will repent of their ways, Lord. That they will seek you. That they will fall humbly at your feet and ask you for forgiveness, Lord. Lord, I pray for the unbeliever who is here, God. I just pray that you will challenge them. You will change their hearts. You will change their minds to, to look at you, Lord. And, and to plead with you, Lord. I ask that you will save souls, Lord. Grow your church. Be merciful to us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.